I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One quick message before I start the show. You can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on rickyrichards.com. I also want to thank you ahead of time for listening to the podcast. It's a pleasure to produce, and I'd love to share my passion for podcasting with more people. So if you enjoy this show, please help me spread the word, either by subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher, or sharing this episode. Let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips of success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hello everyone, I hope you're well. Uh, I thought I'd try something a little different and create a podcast based on a lovely quote that I read recently in Tim Ferriss' new book called Tools of Titans. The quote was, happiness is wanting what you already have. I thought that this was really nice because let's be honest, most of us are in a perpetual cycle of wanting more and this does so often lead to unhappiness. So as a starting point I decided to collate together all the things that I do to try and stay happy. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm Mr Cheerful all the time, far from it. But I have accumulated what I feel are a handful of useful happiness hacks, so to say, which fall outside the conventional do exercise, follow your passions and other such cliches. So without further ado, let me get into the pursuit of happiness. So tip number one is learn to live with less. For those of you that know me, you'll know that I've been a huge proponent of minimalism for many years. The logic to minimalism is that the stuff we own can begin to own us. Now, what does this actually mean? Well, let's start off with what we actually need. All people really need is shelter, ideally, food, water, and if you're lucky, a handful of clothes. If you have access to these things, you're going to be okay. And if you internally have a mindset of, if all I have are these basic things, then I'll be fine, well, then your desire to want, and let's stress this word want, because going back to the initial quote, happiness is wanting what we already have. When you don't have something we want, it makes us unhappy. There's a great quote by Ramit Sethi that I think works in harmony with this original quote, which is that desire is a contract that you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want. What minimalism is really saying is that if you want for nothing, then what you need to own to be happy is low. Likewise, there's a host of other benefits. Say you own a car, you have to service it, tax it, clean it. It's therefore costly, which adds additional stress, especially if you're not in a position to comfortably afford such luxuries. Likewise, most people own thousands of possessions that never get used. They are simply kept because we think that one day it may come in handy or it pains us to let go of something that we've paid for or something that has sentimental value, for example. 
or removing the attachment that we have to these objects can help to bring clarity of mind. And if we want to move, we can just up and go. When we wake up in the morning, we don't need to tidy the mountains of junk that amass around us. We simply go on being content, living a meaningful life with less, as the minimalists would say. So that's tip number one. Tip number two is to use your emotions as a compass. I have a friend recently who, after talking to them, it became apparent that they really wanted something that another person they were extremely close to possessed. This wasn't a possession, it was more of a life goal. But what my friend was experiencing was envy. Now the first thing to point out is that we get trained right from a young age at school that we must progress roughly at the same time as everyone else. We take tests together with the kids in the same year as us and then when we break free of education and we see someone make significant progress in the direction we too want to go in, it can leave us feeling envious. But life is not so linear. People progress at different times and what I've come to realise is that it helps to look at your emotions and to see what they're telling you. In this circumstance, would it not be more beneficial, instead of drenching yourself with the feelings of worthlessness and disappointment, that you might instead inspect the feeling you're experiencing and say, my body is telling me that this is something I really, really want. Maybe this person can help to shed some light on how I too might move my life in that direction. Maybe it might not happen overnight, but now you know somebody on the inside, and so it may get you closer to the goal also. Likewise, the same can be true of frustration. If you're waking up in the morning and you're not even remotely excited to get to work, if more than that the thought is bringing you anxiety, then why stay? Maybe it's time to move on. Or if you're angry with someone, instead of hurling abuse at that person and exacerbating the situation, maybe you can use it to reinforce what you believe your values are. Make a mental or handwritten note that these are the values that you live in accordance with, and you don't need the approval of others if you're moving in accordance with what you believe in. Of course, this doesn't mean you shouldn't listen or be open to the possibility of changing your mind, but it means that you're not being reactionary. You're instead using your emotions to steer you in the right direction, which brings me to my third point. Tip number three, reactions are voluntary. In life, we can plan for good things, but we never plan for bad things to happen. However, seeing as we exist, it's inevitable that bad things are going to occur. Something will break we didn't expect, an object or a body part, we'll lose lots of money for one reason or another, maybe a loved one dies or we get a serious illness. The list of awful things that can happen to us are endless. All we know is that at some point something bad will happen and we have no idea when it will. The trick then from a happiness standpoint is not to be happy about these events, but to not let them cripple us when these things do occur. Realise at times when everything is frankly going to shit, that the only thing that could possibly make the situation any worse is if you let this situation take away all your happiness. There's very few circumstances when being sad or defeatist aids in either getting a situation resolved or, in a situation of a loved one dying or terminal illness, helps to get everyone on the right track. That's not to say that crying doesn't help to relieve anxiety and sadness sometimes, but try to use it as a means of release rather than a fixed state. On a much less serious note, reactionary behaviour doesn't just account for life's curveballs. Sometimes something as trivial as social media can surface something that we wholeheartedly disagree with, and our instinct is to be reactionary and lash out. But realise that this is so often what the publisher of the video intended to happen. They were looking to invoke reactions, to change your physiology. Don't be a victim to it. When you find yourself making decisions on a purely reactionary basis, try and identify those moments and be more considered in your response. Or even better, don't respond at all. Tip number four. The measure of success is not how much time you spend doing what you love, it's how little time you spend doing what you hate.
Casey Neistat. I love this quote by Casey Neistat because whereas most people put the emphasis on getting what you want, i.e. spending time doing what you love, he instead puts the emphasis on changing the circumstances you're already in, i.e. doing less of what you hate. If you have to do a lot of what you hate to get just a fraction of time doing something you truly love, then I personally don't feel that this is a long-term strategy, as it's likely to not make you happy because the contrast between the moments of pure ecstasy doing what you love, balanced against the moments you hate, will inevitably lead you to resent the time you're not spending doing what you enjoy. Whereas, if you can identify times when you just generally aren't enjoying yourself at all, say it's the 60 minutes a week you spend cleaning your house for example, well then you could trade those 60 minutes of time you hate for a £10 cleaner and you're likely to significantly increase the quality of your life and ultimately increase happiness. If you can get yourself to a base level of never hating anything, then the fluctuations between pure joy and just a base level of happiness is much less turbulent and this will ultimately make you more happier overall. Tip number five, be comfortable with failure. I, like many of you, have grown up in a world where stories of success are much more likely to be shared than stories of failure. The reason for this is because failure is much, much more common. Many people will be familiar with the Pareto Principle or the 80-20 rule, the 20% of your efforts that will normally account for 80% of your overall results. Well, that is true of an individual, but when it comes to industries, it appears that over 90% of success, i.e. sales, financial returns, notoriety and the like, come from roughly 1% of the market. So what does this mean? It means that you can almost never anticipate success. That great book you're writing, film script, new track, whatever it may be, I hope you're doing it because you intrinsically love doing it. Because unless you've got millions of pounds or bucket ton of influence already to force cultural significance onto your project, it's very, very unlikely to take off naturally. To not sound so negative, it does occasionally happen. And these are the stories that we tend to hear about, which makes us feel much more likely that it's going to happen to us. I've got nothing against self-belief. Believe me, every time I release something, I tell myself that this is going to be the thing that catches the public's attention. I'm happy in my own self-delusion, but when it doesn't happen, I'm not crushed. I fight to live another day. Because I know that I'm great, the world just doesn't know it yet. Of course, I'm joking. More realistically, I'm just one of many people doing great things and nothing I've made has significantly caught the zeitgeist as yet and may never, but I'm okay with that and I'm going to keep producing because it's what I love to do. Tip number six, embrace your insignificance. One day when you get a spare hour in your busy schedule, allow yourself to fall into a YouTube hole searching for information about space. Discover that you are just a tiny speck in what is an ever-evolving ecosystem. Stand on London Bridge at rush hour or whatever city you may be in and see all these people who believe wholeheartedly in their own self-interest and importance, all experiencing completely unique understanding and perspectives of this world we all share in common. Realise that many generations of people from not so long ago are now referred to as a single word, like the Mayans. And how many of us really know much about the prime ministers, presidents and celebrities from before our time? It's not to say that your life can't be put to good use, but merely that whether you succeed or fail, whether you're a millionaire or homeless, death will inevitably come to all of us. And all the years of accumulation and so-called legacy building will ultimately be gone. You can look at this in two ways. There's the negative perspective that if this is the case, then what is the point of living? Or there is the positive outlook that I'm going to do all I can to make sure that my life was well spent in service of others, providing value, solving problems, 
doing all the things to contribute in a way that you believe is worthy of the precious time that you have. Realise that as you don't remember before birth, it's likely that you will not remember anything beyond death. But you could have been born an ant, a dung beetle, or not being born at all. The fact is, you didn't. You were born. You defied the odds of existence, and now you have a chance to do something. And don't take this as pressure, because after all, we all share the same ending to our life stories. But what's in between, you have complete control over. Tip number seven, change it, accept it, or move on. When something comes into life that is causing you some form of pain, you really only have three options. Firstly, you can change it. That means you're not talking about changing it. You don't go on about how terrible things are. You either do what has to be done to make the change. If not, you accept it. And finally, if all else fails, move on from it. You neither have to change or accept it, but you're not going to let it bother you anymore and you move on. Tip number eight, luxury is not being rushed. Now this is another quote from Mr Ferris that I couldn't agree more with. The things that leave us feeling stressed and ultimately unhappy is when we feel obliged to do something fast, and even more so if it's on somebody else's timescale. When we can do things at our own pace, it removes the stress and allows us to do things at a rate that makes us happy. What does this mean practically? Well it means taking the steps to structure your life so that it's on your terms. This can start with something as simple as your email. Delegating times to respond rather than responding as messages land in your inbox. On a larger scale, this means working out how you can become responsible for your own income so you don't have to answer to anyone else. It can take some time to accomplish, but living comfortably on your own terms is a reality for a lot of people living in the world today. And it could be yours too if you implement incremental steps to move towards that goal. Tip number nine, seek joy from simple things. There's a belief that on average, the richer people are, past a certain point, the more miserable they can often become. At first, this doesn't seem to make sense, but if you explore it further, it's easy to see why this might be the case. The richer you become, the more you're exposed to beautiful things and experiences, which over time, with repeat exposure, raises your expectations, which means that the experiences below your expected threshold no longer give you the same level of joy that many people would typically experience. For example, after living in London for several years, I got used to a great quality of coffee. And when returning to Devon, the coffee that many people enjoy seemed subpar to me. And I didn't enjoy my morning coffee as much as I did when I was in London. As you can see, I'm talking about a coffee, a seemingly minor expense when compared to a lavish car, holiday or choice of clothing, for example. Making a conscious effort to enjoy the small things in life can bring you huge amounts of joy. The beauty of a landscape, the freshness of the air, a great book, the taste of homemade cooking, exploring new places and meeting new people. If you can transfer your desire from expensive objects into low-cost experiences, this will undoubtedly increase your level of happiness significantly, as you can get to experience more opportunities to have these moments that invoke happiness in you. Tip number 10. Fail forwards. Failing forwards refers to the kind of habits that you embrace daily. Can you undertake projects or new behaviours that even if you do fail, still result in progress? Be that making new contacts, learning new skills or acquiring knowledge that will help you to avoid the same mistakes the second time round? If you're good at identifying these kind of projects, then you can go into them with significantly less fear and reservation because even if you do decide not to pursue the project long term, you will still have made forward momentum. 
I feel that this is important because people tend not to be happy when they don't feel like they're making progress. And this is a great way to take on projects that will constantly be pushing you forward, even if you should fail. Lastly, bonus tip, be you. I said I'd try and avoid the cliches going into this podcast, but I couldn't help but say what I genuinely believe is a huge aspect in determining people's level of happiness. The question is, are you living in align with your values? What this requires is that you know yourself, and I don't think that that is always the easiest thing to know. It can often require that you experience more to see what you do enjoy and what you don't, and also to know that these values will change over time as your life circumstances also change. Nevertheless, living outside your values is always going to make you feel unhappy. If you value the feeling of teamwork, then a big corporate company where you're just a number is probably going to cause you unhappiness. However, if you like the competitive environment, maybe a big company with larger rewards is right for you. Likewise, if you like to keep things simple and aspire to live in a small house in the country, but your partner is materialistic, wants five kids and a high-rise apartment, it's probably not going to work out in the long run, because your core values don't align. Knowing what your values are not only helps you to live by them, but it also helps you to identify the kinds of people who also possess the same kinds of values and spend your time around people who don't clash with you day to day. If you spend time with people you like, chances are you're more likely to be happy because of it. To sum up, I believe that happiness is ultimately a decision that we make, and being unhappy is not a thing that happens to us. We decide that also. There are likely people that have all that you desire who are happy, and there are equally many others who are probably not. Happiness is not intrinsically linked to a level of achievement. It fluctuates and is never constant. But if I had to pick two things that have made the biggest difference for me personally, it would have to be my appreciation for simplicity, for me to not need to possess things and to not link my self-worth to the things I own or achieve. Of course, I would not turn down high levels of success, but I feel no animosity should I never be fortunate enough to attain it. Secondly, the other thing that has made a difference in my life is self-awareness. Becoming very clear in my mind what I believe is my core values, what I enjoy, what I like to do with my time as well as what I don't, the kinds of people that I like to spend time with, the things that excite me and the things that I'm just content in doing, as well as the things that I would do anything to avoid. By becoming clear about this, I'm able to steer my life in the direction that suits me, and I no longer become susceptible to the beliefs that others have of me, because I have my own agenda, and no doubt you can have your own agenda too. I hope everyone that listens to this can walk away with at least one tip to try and improve their own life. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with someone who you believe could do with the help. Hopefully this can provide some suggestions to the people who need it most. Finally, thank you for listening to the show and until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to subscribe and share. As a final parting word from me, I'd like to invite you all to an ongoing project called the Move Me mailing list. The Move Me mailing list includes links to all the interesting things I've uncovered that month, as well as resources I've discovered and insights that I believe will move you forward. So join the thousand plus early adopters who've joined the list already and see what all the fuss is about. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great week and see you next time for another episode. Bye for now. Today's episode was sponsored by Phoby.com, helping people of all ages to unlock their creative potential. To find out more about Phoby's events and what they can do for you, visit Phoby.com. That's F-O-B-I.com. Phoby, full of bright ideas.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 